Hey everyone, welcome to Tonecast 87. We have Brandon Bagby with us here in a little bit. Uh, excited to talk with him, Nashville guitarist, great guy. Um, a lot of really cool conversations that we had with him, and we're excited to kind of bring that from all sorts of different angles. Um, but yeah, Brian Porter here with Marco Gonzalez. How are you today, Marco? Hey, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. I'm, I'm, we're, we just got our new podcast t-shirts in yesterday, so I'm actually rocking it today. But we're excited about that. And we mentioned last time we have new merch. Yeah. So we'll include links to the the merch down below. Um, and and maybe, Marco, as we jump into this interview here, but let's talk about, um, let's talk about kind of some things that we've uh, been building in the shop this week. Cool. Well, yeah, I've had some Firebird sets on my bench and some for a local builder, um, Rock Fudge Guitars. I don't know if anybody follows us or knows about his work, but I've got his set and Firebird stuff coming. We've got a, some gold foil sets going out into the world, some burgers and some some of the slants. So it's, you know, some exciting Those stuff. Those who are listening yeah. are like, what is the burger? What is you're he gonna, talking about? You're going to have to go to our custom shop fi- page to find out what the burger is. Yeah. We're, we're not going to tell you. We were talking about the burger around lunchtime yesterday and everyone, we were like, oh, we're getting so hungry. I know, so. Where, I know where I'm going for food. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been what's uh, on my bench lately. And yeah. Yeah. I miss all the other Fontelli stuff and Strat stuff usually that I'm building. Definitely. we got some custom shop stuff going out, like you mentioned. Excited for that. Um, still getting closer and closer to this Firebird release, but people have been harassing us and buying them before they're officially out. Mm-hmm. But we are, we are actually working on videos this afternoon for the, for the Firebirds and, and hopefully have an official re- release here coming in the next few weeks. Yeah, Again, so- we're, we're getting there. We're <laughs> taking baby steps and then falling down and needing a diaper change. And then getting back up and trying to get to the release. But before we get into this interview with Brandon, I want to mention our pickup chooser. Head to our website. You'll see at the homepage or you'll see a link at the top uh, menu bar there for the pickup chooser. Just a simple way you can fill out stuff about your gear. Let us know what you're playing, what you're missing out of your pickups, and we'll help you with a personalized recommendation for a set. So I'm excited about uh, doing that. I know that you've been kind of doing a lot of choosers lately, Mm -hmm. even this week, kind of getting a couple people in the door on the choosers and and that's just been a fun process so fill that out we'll include a link down in the show notes and and i guess we'll go ahead and jump into that interview with brandon right now all right we are here with brandon bagby brandon how are you today man i'm doing great it's uh it's i'm you know out in that in the nashville area it's actually cold Ooh. so well, define, <laughs> cold. We'll come, we'll, define cold define well, cold like we'll, temperature we'll wise Thirty degrees. Oh, okay. In the fall. Oh, wow. All right. So, and wow. uh, so it was. You didn't really want to get out of the bed this morning, but you still do. <laughs> so, still have to. I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're like we get people that say, "Oh, I'm really cold," and it's like fifty five, and we're like, "Oh, cool. It's twenty eight here or whatever." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Well, as we before we get into weather talk, let's uh, let's steer it back to. Uh, Starting off, just Brandon, let us know a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into some questions we've got for you. Sure. Uh, so I've been in the music industry for the last 10-plus years uh, full-time, uh, where I'm able to support my family um, just through music uh, primarily. And uh, I'm the breadwinner for my family. I have a beautiful wife and uh, six kids. Yeah, that's right. I said six. Um, we just gave birth to the uh, the last one. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, and a little boy, and um, but yeah, just um, guitar player, producer. Um, I do some public speaking from time to time. I play multiple instruments as well, and 
do session recording work and live touring. I've been able to tour with some really amazing artists over the years. So it's been awesome. Nice. Well, I want to. I kind of want to focus in this first section about um, just the the Nashville dynamic. So I'm going to hit you with a couple different questions. I'm sure. mainly interested in that that first initial jump, um, kind of when you went full time. Kind of what was that like? Um, How did you make that decision? And kind of what was what was involved in that in that jump to okay, I'm a full time musician now. Sure. Um... You know, I moved to Nashville with a dream of playing music for a living, and um, I didn't know anyone really. I knew one person. His name was Matt Gilder. Um, he's Chris Tomlin's music director, and we had played together with a previous artist when I was in college. So uh, I guess my career kind of started more in college, and then I, I put it to rest to finish school and ended up working in the corporate world for a few years and then moved to Nashville. When I moved to Nashville. Um, it was like starting over completely. So I went from making really good money to no money. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I moved in with a bunch of strangers, uh, that I found on Craigslist, wow. <laughs> which I don't, I don't recommend because it's not necessarily <laughs> safe. Uh, since, I mean, Facebook wasn't, uh, as big and prominent back then for connections. And so I had to just find some random strangers on Craigslist to move in with. And, uh, I did that for about a few months and then my wife and I eloped uh, in New Orleans and lived with my roommates for 30 days. <laughs> that was interesting that's that's called love if your wife's mm-hmm. gonna stay with you during that time where we basically <laughs> lived on an air mattress and watched red box movies on a laptop computer sitting on a uh, uh a flight case at the end of the <laughs> air mattress that, nice. that was pretty much our life because when i moved <laughs> up here i moved up here with an air mattress clothes and gear and that's it uh, everything all else is just put in storage. That's all you need, right? <laughs> it really well, is. If you think about the necessities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, man. So was your goal so, to be, was your goal to be just in Nashville as, as a way to kind of start that process, just to be closer to the action? Is that kind of the yeah, thought? It is because it, when I, I talked to Matt, um, about it and he just invited me to come up and crash with him for about three days, check town out. But I've always heard the saying that the bus leaves Nashville. So, you know, I, I'd always, you know, you've got friends or I've got friends because I've had plenty of them. And I've done it myself before I lived in Nashville. I'd be like, hey, if you ever hear of a gig, you know, I, I, I'd drive in and, and come do it. Um, well, the, the saying goes is the bus leaves Nashville. <laughs> so you really need to be in Nashville to really make connections and form relationships and form lasting relationships. I've got relationships that have been going strong for the last 10 plus years with some of the same people. And, um, it's, it's interesting. The whole music world is an interesting thing. Cause you know, a lot of people there's like, from what I heard, there's about 80 to 90 musicians that move to Nashville per day. Wow. It's crazy to think about like statistically. Um, and I don't know if it's the same way now since the whole pandemic hit, um, I think, and I know a lot of musicians have actually left Nashville since the pandemic hit, and a lot of people have stepped away from those gigs and started new careers because uh, they had to, and that's okay. It really is because at the end of the day, you got to do the bet what's best for you and what's best for your family. Yeah, and so you started kind of this networking process, and what did that mm-hmm. look like? Did you like drop into a studio and be like, 
can I sweep the floor? Or I mean, what it, like what did that process look like for you as you started building those relationships in the early years? Sure. Well, the process for me, it's a, it was a little different. I, 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 you know, Matt was the only guy I knew, but I actually became good friends with his roommate, John. And John and I would hang out, and then I started going to church where Matt and John went to church, and just meeting people through church, and then. Randomly, I was doing this benefit project uh, with a singer-songwriter and her producer at the time. And the that producer was heading up this uh, Hope for Haiti benefit. And it was like a live concert that was going to be with Dave Barnes and Tommy Sims. And some he was pulling some favors from, from artists to come in and, and perform for this event. And uh, he came over to my apartment at the time. We lived in an apartment in Nashville. And... Uh, and I Googled him because I'm like, well, I don't want an axe murderer showing up. I know he's a producer, but I don't know him. So I started Googling him and he had like credits with Michael W. Smith and all the, the older CCM uh, 90s uh, acts. Uh, he played, he was a session guitar player primarily. And uh, he came over and uh, we started talking and he just asked me, what, what, what do I want to do? And because I was helping him work on uh, graphic design work uh, for the event and stuff, because that's actually my major was in graphic design. And uh, and so I was helping him with that, and he just asked me, and I, I told him, and he's like, well, he's like, come over to my place sometime. I'll, I'll show you how we, how we do things. And I'm like, okay. So I drove over to West End area uh, of Nashville, and he had a little house, and then behind his house, he had a like a apartment with a garage, kind of like a crack house on the outside. <laughs> um, it's typically a lot of studios in Nashville will look like crack houses on the outside so that people won't be so apt to uh, break in and, and steal. Smart. Uh, <laughs> yep, it is smart. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I went in there and he's got like, I don't know, 30, 40 guitars, dozens of amps. And, and so he goes, all right, well, this is Pro Tools and uh, here's play here's record here's how do you uh, delete the thing you might have just did uh, i'm gonna go pick up my kids so i'll see you like in an hour so he put me in an open session of his just to see what i would do and he mm-hmm. came back and i literally i think i had one line done that was it because <laughs> i didn't know what to do I, I mean it's just like you you know the deer in the headlights uh they they call that little red button that record button the, the little red demon um, because people freeze up when that thing starts going. Um, and I froze up for sure. Cause I was like, well, here's a blank canvas. I don't know what to do. And so he spent time, um, teaching me how to build foundations and sessions and to also, um, uh, how to read number charts. And, uh, he schooled me pretty hard on the number charts, which was awesome because mm-hmm. first time I, I got in the number charts, he, he hired me for, um, a group that he band led for a group called Shadaisy. This is country group back in the late nineties, early two thousands, kind of like a, I can't say Dixie, but the chicks <laughs> kind of like, kind of like that knockoff of a, of a group, uh, in that vein. And they were really good. And so he, he music directed there. And so when I was learning the music, he was, you know, coaching me through it. He's like, okay, let's switch keys. You got 20 seconds to think about what you're about to do. <laughs> and so he just started hammering me you know in those environments and i'm just like this is fantastic because this is just good practice yeah. and uh yeah so that i mean kind of like 
he would he would sneak me into recording sessions a lot of times. I would be his quote unquote cartridge guy. I'd carry like a guitar in, that would, and then I'd just get to hang out and watch the session happen. Um, so that's kind of how I broke into as far as like sessions and meeting producers and other musicians and just yeah, <laughs> that's I mean that was just one avenue. And I mean there's plenty of other avenues I went down to to meet you know musicians and I didn't you know I did. Some session work, but I, I started uh, touring full time in 2011. So I moved to Nashville in like May of 2009. So 2009. And then by, I'm going to say April, April or May, but April or May is when I, of 2011. So about two years exactly wow. is when I was able to quit, you know, any odd jobs and just tour full time. So you went from mac and cheese to uh, uh, McDonald's Happy Meals at that point, right? <laughs> Pretty much, right? Exactly. Yeah, it was it was interesting. The the you know I worked at a guitar center for like two months. Um, it was very challenging, and uh, then I went on and I was making like seven twenty five an hour, and it was it's almost impossible to make any kind of commissions in Nashville because everyone else, everyone that comes in has a pro account. So you don't really get you get you don't get the clientele you would like to actually make your commissions. You're not you're not gonna sell enough. And and then uh, I went on to a, an art store, uh, which that's a whole other story. Where I had an art career before a music career. Um, I worked at an art store that I'd shopped at regularly, and uh, that was eight bucks an hour. So I made from went from a thousand bucks a month to twelve hundred bucks a month. And then um, uh, an opportunity, uh, kind of an entrepreneurial opportunity, opened up in the art world for me, and that's when I jumped ship from the from the art store. And as soon as I jumped ship, because I told my wife, I said, "Look, I'm 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 doing this because I think I'm supposed to do this, and this is what I'm supposed to do to pay our bills." But I don't feel like this is what God had for me. And this opportunity came up. I think we need to jump on it. And I'm a I'm a high risk taker. Uh, anyways by nature so i quit my job and i went from making 300 a week to 300 a day oh wow think, think about that yeah that's a big that's, that's a big change right <laughs> a very big change and that's god just opening those doors for it to happen um so yeah that's as soon as i and as soon as i left the, the normal day job and i was more an entrepreneurial uh, situation, uh, the phone started ringing. Like they knew people knew I was available for session work or just available during the day. So that's cool. Yeah. Just kind of those. So there wasn't necessarily like a big break. You had to kind of take that jump <laughs> at, at, oh, at yeah. the same time. Right. Cause some people, some people, it seems like you hear their stories and they just, they get the huge break and, and they kind of accelerate to the not to the front, but like to the full time, right? They just kind of, it feels right. like, it sounds like to me, I hear these stories. I'm like, man, they just, they just moved there and they were like on the street corner and someone handed them a guitar and said, hey, do you want to tour with me? You know, like, <laughs> and I think some of those are kind of like mixed with a little bit of legend anyways. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I've, I haven't heard any stories like that. Like as far as real like I don't know anyone that had a situation like that. I think that. all those guys came by our booth when we had a Nam booth. <laughs> I think every single one, every single person that had their major break came to our booth and was like, "Do you know who I am?" 
You should give me free stuff, right? Give me free stuff. Yeah. So, give so one thing I, boots. yeah, exactly. And one thing I thought about with the um, kind of the Nashville dynamic. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we've all been dealing with this this COVID thing and and the impact sure. on the music industry. So, so kind of maybe if you could quickly talk about the impact of that on the live music scene, the you know the Broadway stuff. I mean, everything that mm-hmm. that happens in Nashville and, and kind of what happened in that city. Sure. Well, the you know when the pandemic hit, I mean, not only tours stopped because um, I was on tour when it happened, and we had to come back home. But even on Broadway, like I know a lot of guys that make a living uh, playing on Broadway, relying on tourists. Because here's the thing: they're not making a lot of money off the bar. The bar is not paying them a good amount of money to to do their shift of two, three, four hour, you know, of of playing. But they rely on the customers for tips, you know, I know guys making several hundred dollars a night, um, playing Broadway. Um, and that's mostly because of tips. And so that all shut down. And so we're talking a lot of guys losing their livelihoods. We're talking about no more showcases in town. I mean, music stopped, even, even session work, like live tracking, um, in town stopped for a while. I mean, it, it shut down. (laughs) It was it was pretty bad. Um, bars uh, were losing their you know their businesses because they couldn't pay at lease agreements. They couldn't pay any of their bills. They definitely couldn't pay employees. And and then I think the whole unemployment game was a was a big rat race uh, as well. Just because so there's such a large influx of unemployed people and just not enough personnel uh, in the state to deal with it all. Uh, and that's why, like a lot of people, probably didn't get their unemployment for several weeks, uh, more weeks than, than normal. So, uh, um, and, and another thing is, like you know, what people understand is that it is it is hard for a musician to get unemployment typically because uh, most of us are ten ninety nine, um, and we work on a per show basis typically. Um, there are other rare, rare instances where you might be W-2'd with an artist or you might uh, have a salary with an artist. Again, those are very rare instances. But so a lot of times, you know, the state, when it comes to unemployment, they don't understand what 1099 is. They don't know what's self-employed or they don't because they don't they just don't navigate in that world. Um, so it's, you know, always hard to to <laughs> try to help someone understand that. You know, like, what do you mean you don't know when your next check's coming in? What do you mean you don't know your budget for the month? What do you mean? I mean, <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's, for people that are self-employed, we do we do keep. Um, you know, I keep a budget per month, and I keep a nest egg of money um, in, in savings. So I'm not always like, not like what people think. Like musicians are always like, oh, I'm gonna go buy guitars all the time because uh, you always see the memes and the jokes of. of musicians just constantly buying gear if a musician is constantly buying gear it's it's because it's a hobby it's not because it's they're making a living on it it's a hobby they might be a weekend warrior at their church playing four or five songs and have an amazing day job that can fund you know their hobby you know um but a musician that's a working musician and like based in Nashville or Austin or New York or LA, they're not blowing money all the time or trading out gear. And, you know, a lot of us keep the same gear. We've, I've got gear that I've got pedals I've kept for 15, 20 years. I still use, 
you know, I've got amps that I've kept for several years, you know. So it's not, we're not in the business of trading out stuff. Because um, at, at the end of the day, it's tools. It's it's working tools for us. So, yeah, it's it it, it was rough when, when COVID hit um, for the music industry. I mean, I think it's a $32 billion industry, the entertainment industry. Shut, just shut down. And... I mean, and then not just us, not just music. We're just we're talking about movies and film. We're talking about anything dealing with entertainment. Gone. Hmm. Football, you know, football, yeah. baseball, sports. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it it was rough. It really was. But I think I think there's a turn coming out, and I think things are starting to finally get a little bit better. Well, yeah, and that's good to hear that, it, you know, things are starting to kind of look on the mm-hmm. up and up. But we, we did kind of touch on gear a little bit. And I just wonder sure. maybe what what are some of the companies that you're using or, you know, what do you feel like companies that handle endorsements really well? I mean, who are some of the people that you've worked with? If you're at liberty to say, I know sometimes, sure. you know, it's kind of, you know, murky water and you want to not upset anybody and stuff like that. But just, sure. you know, kind of what any shout outs to any companies or anything that you really yeah. love? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been really fortunate enough to secure some really great relationships with a multitude of companies over the years. Um, and it's not even something I even thought about as a musician starting up, like, hey, one day, you know, a company is going to give me a guitar or an amp or, you know, I don't, I didn't think about any of that stuff I, when I wanted to play music for a living. Um because yeah, I just didn't know that some companies do that, you know. So I've got I've got relationships with uh, Fender now. Um, I had a relationship with Sublime Guitars when that company was mm-hmm. around. Uh, Bluesman Vintage Guitars, which is out of Spring Hill. Uh, Lanica Ukuleles, Recording King, Kaiser Musical Products, Third Power Amplification, Diadario, mm-hmm. Go For Wood Guitars, it's an acoustic company. Uh, All Clear Audio. Uh, Keeley Electronics, Sinusoid uh, Cables, mm-hmm. Hercules Stands, Glory Guitars, uh, True Tone Effects. Uh, if you remember, like Visual Sound, yeah. so that's True Tone. Oh, okay. those like pentagon shaped pedals. I think yep. I remember. Yep, yeah, they're, those are some great people. Uh, Orange Amplification, uh, The Lore, which is um, part of a company with Recording King, the Lord mm, does yeah. mandolins and some and some archtop uh, acoustic guitars, uh, VHT amps, um, SC Electronics, which is a microphone company. <laughs> so yeah, there's I mean Just a wide range of companies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been amazing, and uh, there's probably more that I'm not. I'm forgetting. So, but yeah, I've just you know I've developed working relationships with these companies and I've never expected any kind of free gear. Have I gotten free gear from some of these companies? Absolutely. But it's not really free. Uh, you know, I, to me, it's, it's a working relationship. And if I'm not pushing a product, I mean, that's, that's my job is to help promote and push a product. And, um, I also don't take products that are just given to me as well. Um, cause I've had companies give me products and I send them right back if I couldn't gel with them. Um, because I don't, you know, free is not necessarily better. You know, I want to work with, you know, with companies and products that I enjoy and not just because I get maybe a deep discount or I get an item for free. Yeah. So more interested um, in I think that's, using the thing that 
that you're giving. Totally. Totally. And then I, I see some guys do the big no-no uh, of, you know, I see it a lot in the country market too. Because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of companies will give these guitars away. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing these other musicians just selling off all these guitars they got for free so they can go buy their vintage whatever vintage gibson or vintage fender or you know yeah. and i'm just that's just that's bad business practice yeah. and Good i will taste. i will never <laughs> yeah totally i'll i will never sell off a piece of gear that was given to me um if i if i put some money in on it um and you know even got a discount on it yeah i might consider it but i try not to because at the end of the day it's like i don't really want to sell that gear because i really do like using that that piece of gear and why would i sell it unless i had a bill to pay that i I couldn't get around you know yeah some emergency thing and so yeah emergency yeah yeah how do you feel that like a typically do you feel like the companies kind of approach you at that point or or i mean i guess because it kind of feels weird to you know, be kind of asking around, like, here's my show list. Here's how many dates, you know, like, do you, do you yeah. feel like the company should be the one approaching or how, how have you like, what's the best way you've been approached or kind of what's the more natural process of that? Sure. Um, for me, um, it's, it's happened a couple of different ways. I've had other artist reps from companies introduce mm-hmm. me to artist reps of other companies mm. um so i've had that happen where it's just a really good warm connection um i've also had it where i've i've sent an email off and just you know just basically said i'd like to form a working relationship mm-hmm. i love the products um it might be a product i already use yeah and uh, i would love to you know develop that relationship further and and see where it can go and um I don't really send off tour lists. Um, I mean, I haven't in a long time. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. they can go look at they can go look it up. I'll I'll say what artist I'm touring with, and mm-hmm. they can go see their dates and whatnot. But um, yeah, so I mean, and then I've had companies approach me as well, and you know, so it kind of goes both ways. But I think you have to have some ground to stand on. So mm-hmm. I don't think if you're brand new to town, you should be hitting up companies because yeah. you don't have any uh, kind of a history work history professionally in the industry mm-hmm. so why would they want to work with you now there there are artists i call them the bedroom guitarists which this is the phenomenon we have now of the 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 youtube and instagram and tiktok uh situation where these people become famous over social media but in, in the normal world nobody knows who they are mm-hmm. at all or in the music industry, let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and sometimes they do, but a lot of times they're just more famous their their media platforms. And you know what? Um, for companies like Fender or Paul Reed Smith or Gibson, these bigger companies, they they've got the money to some you down. know shell out <laughs> yeah chase them down, shell out a guitar to them because you know what? That's that's more marketing for them. That's just marketing dollars for those companies. Yeah, that they're almost uh-huh. to me like uh, like Super Bowl commercials because it's like everyone's fighting for like oh I want that artist to have my guitar in their hands, you know. So it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. pretty competitive, I'm sure, you know. Totally. And, you know, it's funny because, like, you could you could go, like, let's say you want to give a guitar to Slash, who might not be on, you know, social mm-hmm. media as much, pay, posting a video of him playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. Or you can give it to a bedroom guitarist that has, like, 
I don't know, like thirty, forty thousand dollars, forty, forty thousand followers, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a high exposure rate for that product. Yeah, and so I think that's why a lot of uh, companies are gravitating gra- gravitating towards uh, those uh, those artists. Yeah, and so. even then, that's like a huge change in the industry. But uh, I'm even just curious about maybe your live rig and your studio rig. I mean, are they vastly mm-hmm. different? I, um, you know, I'm always that's a fun question to ask because mine are very very different. So you know, sure. Um, you know, my last touring gig, I we I ended it with using a Kemper um, mm-hmm. on stage, and we just kept it. Honestly, we didn't we didn't even dive into everything it could do. We just found a clean Fender amp, and I just threw some pedals in front of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I mean, I put my trust in the mix engineer, and he made that thing sound fantastic. So <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. You know, yeah. um, and before that, I was touring with you know four twelve cabs. We had the baffle, <laughs> stick them in the back of theaters or the you know or under the stage in an arena situation. Um, yeah. And man, I will say there's nothing like a real tube amp, and I can I can hear the I can hear the difference in mm-hmm. my in ears. Um, I know people are probably like chuckling if they're going to be listening to this like oh you can't tell the difference between a kemper and a real amp <laughs> i i actually can um because i've listened to enough real amps and comparisons to kemper yeah. profiles and uh some are really close but it's just these little nuances that you know digital cannot capture mm-hmm. um so for me it's like uh i i'm i'm cool with using a kemper for live because it's a great tool uh, so any kind of digital platform for live is fine because in the, the day nobody's going to be able to tell in the mix, yeah. in a live mix, maybe a studio recording they can, but in a in a live mix, you can't tell. Sounds bouncing around everywhere. Nobody can tell if you're playing through a four twelve, you mm-hmm. know, cab with a real lamp and it's blazing, or or you're playing like through a Kemper. Nobody can tell. Yeah, people are screaming. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's loud. It's <laughs> so having a good time. <laughs> I mean the. It, Exactly. So, so I'm cool with that. Um, and I think, I think using those, uh, digital platforms, uh, it makes it a lot easier setup time for a show and tear down time, which I'm always looking at that efficiency of, of time to set up time to tear down. Yeah. It um, matters. Every second counts. Absolutely. And, uh, for, for home, you know, I have, uh, like four amps here that I use for recording. And I use, um, I have a, uh, next to my room, there's a, a large walk-in closet and I've got a cab in there mic'd up with a lawyer and a 57. So I can, I can blaze it here, mm-hmm. uh, at home in my home studio and, uh, Get yeah. Some good sounds. And, That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, as far as live rig, yeah, I, it's in like the, the last part of my touring time before COVID hit. I would literally show up to bus call with a pedal board and maybe two guitars, mm-hmm. and sometimes would bring a vault out of guitars. And then I got, I got, I kind of stopped doing that because the last artist I toured with, uh, uh, she would um, kind of go from one song to the next, and there really wasn't a lot of time to change guitars mm-hmm. or make guitar changes, and you just had to be on your toes and ready because she could change the set list on stage on the fly <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> yeah so i always had to you know make sure i had the one guitar that would like kind of do everything if i could if i had to stick with one guitar yeah to cover the range of sounds because I, I rely more on my guitar and the pickups and the amp 
uh, more so than effects, you know, for different sounds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's cool. And so, like, how would you even go about choosing what guitar to play on those tracks? Like in that instance where you're like, all right, I'm covering like four different styles, and I've got yeah two guitars, you know, my main and my backup usually, you know. So yeah, how would you so pick? In, yeah, in let's see, what year was that? End of end end of I believe two thousand. 18 no end of 19 end of 19 we formed a relationship with fender mm-hmm. um and they had reached out to uh uh the artist's uh music director and um but he was like i don't play guitar um <laughs> but i play i play keys so i'll take some in ears but um the bass player and i were on the call and they extended it to us and they said just pick out a guitar um, so the first one I got was a, a Fender Elite Strat. And honestly, mm-hmm. for that gig, a Strat sound was really perfect because mm-hmm. uh, it was it was rock, pop, gospel, some, you know, uh, worship music involved as well mm-hmm. and funk. So a Strat was a good middle of the road kind of guitar to kind of cover a multitude of sounds. And then I ended up getting a um, an Ultra Series Strat that had a, humbucker in the in the bridge because mm-hmm. I, I told him i said i love this guitar with the three singles but you know sometimes i can't i don't have time to change guitars i need something that i can do the rock sounds with mm-hmm. and so that that guitar it's a it's an ultra series uh in texas t finish Ooh, that's my favorite finish of that run yeah. <laughs> Goodness. isn't it nice i want one of those I got tellies to, i've, I've dude, got one on my so, watch list right now <laughs> <laughs> they're so good i was i was fortunate to play one before it released um because uh, we were visiting, uh, we had some tour dates in the LA area, and and so I um, I ended up um, getting to try it out. We couldn't take any pictures of it or release any photos mm-hmm. of it, but you can strum it. <laughs> you could strum it and play it. So enjoy it. And Absolutely then, cool. The strat the strat covers a lot of ground, and I guess yeah. even just. One of my ever arcing questions that I always ask, and we always ask here, is the Desert Island gear question. If you could just have your one guitar, one amp, and one pedal, you know, what yeah. would that um, be? And at the moment, it, it'd probably be that Strat, just because it can do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, just, And I've got a lot of other great guitars. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean... I love them all. I think every guitar kind of has its thing that it does, like the one thing that it does. Yeah. And, uh, or two things, you know, and the Strat, the Strat just has a lot of things it can do mm-hmm. uh, for me. And, um, but it would be that, and it'd be probably like, um, a third power, uh, six Vell, mm. um, kitchen sink. I don't know if you've ever checked out any of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've not so had the pleasure of playing through one, but yeah, they're they're built they're built in Nashville, and it's they're pretty awesome. Like the clean channel is, uh, it can do the basement thing, it can do the Vox AC30 thing, has a blend knob where you can blend mm. the two, yeah, um, and then the dirty channel can cover all the Marshall ranges, including like the Eddie Van Halen stuff, mm-hmm. and it can also do the high gain thing as well. Like, it, it's yeah. really like a it'd be like if you needed to bring one amp to a session that'd be the one you could bring and get away with a ton of different sounds mm-hmm. 
which is super, super important, especially if you're yeah. in a in a session, right? <laughs> I think it's yeah, good. I totally. Think, I think it's good, Brandon, that um, we ask people that question, and they always like try to come up with a way to work around the limitations of the question. They're like, well, <laughs> if there was a boat with an extra amp on it, it would be this amp, and right. you know, if I could travel off the desert island, I would go pick up this guitar. I'm like, well, that's not what we asked you. <laughs> so exactly. I think I think he's done the best of all yeah. of our guests of have just answering the question like this is what i would take yeah nice and clean oh and i forgot about the pedal oh yes I gotta, yes we need the pedal, pedal. um and a I tuner tuner it, pedal doesn't count yeah. we have to we have to well, give that no, you're not playing with anybody you don't have to be in tune yeah. exactly <laughs> and then also there's clip-on tuners you can have one in your gig oh, bag there you go hmm. see what i'm saying so uh, yeah. as far as a, a pedal i'd probably pick like um honestly okay this will be easy uh, i have a line 6 m9 i've had for mm. years and it can do multiple sounds, but I, I mostly use it for delays and reverbs. And uh, I think that's just a good versatile processing pedal. It's not really a fair one to throw in the game, so I'd probably just say some type of delay pedal um, yeah. to be able to do a light slap back or a light delay under things. Because I don't like when I do guitar solos, I don't use a lot of delay, and if I do, it's like buried in the in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm doing the the whole worship guitar thing, of course, it's gobs and gobs and delay effects. <laughs> as much course. delay as possible. Yeah, as much as possible. <laughs> and, you so. need, and you need three delays in order to properly uh, contribute in that situation, that's right. right? That's right. That's right. Oh, that's that's funny because sometimes when I'm tracking um, worship uh, songs with just guitar, and I'm using plug-in effects, I am like stacking like two or three delays on some mm-hmm. of the guitars just to create a certain thing I'm looking for. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I want to jump into kind of this last section here, just kind of uh, musician life and, and family life and kind of like how how all that fits in. Um, you mentioned the the six kids thing and kind of having the, yeah. the doing the full-time musician, having a family. Um, how do yeah. you balance that? need to pursue you know the revenue to support your family but kind of like Mm -hmm. keeping family time important like what's that what's that balance like for you yeah for me um my wife rebecca got pregnant um probably it was eight months into our marriage and i was still jobless she had gotten a nanny job and the same day she found out she was pregnant with our first she got laid off so so we both had no jobs and i had like unemployment coming in. I'm like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I, I gotta get a job. I gotta get a job. Yeah. That's why I went to guitar center. Cause I thought that's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and so I went from making a thousand dollars a month on unemployment, being able to paint in our apartment and build a painting career, uh, art career and work on my music career as well to go into guitar center, trade 40 hours a week for a thousand dollars a month. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> Think yeah. about that for a second. <laughs> so, but your strings um, are cheaper, you know, all the strings are A little bit. <laughs> yeah. You got the, you got the 10 up deal, you know, um, which, uh, you know, these days my strings are way cheaper, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, before, uh, not to get off subject, but like before the, uh, the whole, uh, pandemic hit, uh, Diodero would give me an allowance per month, per, per year to spend, um, and they've taken that away from artists now, but they, they give a deep discount and I'm happy to buy strings from them because of how much they've done for me and other people in the music community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to, back to having kids, we, you know, we had our first and 
And then we just thought, man, it doesn't make sense for my wife to go back to work and then for us to pay for childcare because childcare is, can be astronomical. Um, and plus it's like, if she went back to work, she'd basically be working to pay for childcare. And then, and then my income, if I was making an income would be all for the bills, for the other bills, <laughs> the normal bills, mm-hmm. you know? And so it didn't, it didn't make financial sense for my wife to, to go and work when we started having kids. And biblically, I, I don't feel it's right to make, you know, if, if, you know, I think, I think women should be allowed to stay home if they want to, um, after having kids, if they do want to have a working career, they're welcome to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely always wanted my wife to have that option. Yeah. And, uh, so we made that decision for her to be a stay at home mom and, uh, more kids just kind of kept showing up. I'm not <laughs> sure how, but they, um, uh, we're still working on figuring that one out, obviously. But yeah. Man. It's been a bless. It's been a blessing, mm-hmm. and I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, and as far as you know, it's it is chaotic at my house a lot of times, and uh, there's never a dull moment. Uh, we don't need a TV because you can just watch them do crazy yeah. things, uh, you know. So they're they're very entertaining and fun to be around, and all very different in personalities. So having to navigate through personalities, we also homeschool which we started doing that um, with our first because of my touring schedule. Mm-hmm. And because uh, a lot of times I would I would be home Monday through Wednesday during the week and then touring through the weekend from Thursday to Sunday. And so for if, if, if my child was in normal school, I would never have been able to see her yeah. um, if we would have went that route. And so we've done the homeschooling thing or I say we, my wife, because she is their teacher. I'm just the principal. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so there's three of them right now, um, doing homeschooling. And so, which was great because when the pandemic hit and people's kids were coming home because schools were shutting down, parents were like freaking out. What do we do? And we're like, we're already there. <laughs> this is not any different for us. Yeah. You already so. built the roads. <laughs> yeah, we're ready to go. So it, so that was that was pretty. That was an easy transition for us when the pandemic hit. It was just it was weird for me to be home more, which was good. Um, I'm actually thankful. Um, COVID nineteen hit and the pandemic hit because it caused me to slow down and to really um, help build more relationship with my family. Because spending a lot of time on the road and then coming home, it's not enough time to really key in a relationship. Uh, mm with your family. That's why I know a lot of some guys will come off the road when they get married or start having kids. Um, and I get it. I get it now. I really do. Cause you know, and I'm not saying that I'm coming off the road cause like in the future I may go back on a tour as things are opening up, but I am so thankful that it, it did cause me to slow down and just be home and grow in relationship with my family and my kids. And so, you know, that dynamic has changed. So I, I basically have a desk job now in my home studio and I track on people's projects and typically I'll shut things down at five, you know, I'll come up for lunch and then I'll shut things down around five, four, or if I don't have anything going on that day, um, as far as tracking, cause tracking isn't every day. It's, it's, I might, I might actually do two to three songs a week on minimum. You know, some weeks are busy where I have four or five songs, but minimum it's like two to three songs. 
And so some days I don't have anything. And so I'm working on house projects because when you own a home, there's always something to do, <laughs> always something to fix and or improve on. Yeah. So, yeah. And then and then we'll spend a lot of time together as a family doing hikes and different things. Yeah. So so kind of with the uh, just that sort of like everything came to a halt. It, it really did cause a lot of us to be like, what what do we want to be about? You know, like, <laughs> right. like I think probably out of like somewhat of a fear based thing where it's like, well, this could really change. I might have to go get a real job. I might have to, <laughs> you know, move on from this dream that that has been working for all these years. And, and that's yeah. kind of that's kind of where we ended up at just in like, oh, man, this is like this is going to change this industry and how are we going to fit in that industry? And it was definitely, it was definitely a challenge. And, and I, I guess I'm curious about um, another kind of dynamic that sometimes hits uh, artists where you are the hired guy for a tour um, or a session and that mm-hmm. comes to an end and you, you've lost that income stream or, or that season has ended and kind of what is your, what is your mindset when that happens and how do you kind of uh, handle that? Sure. Um, I actually had that happen beginning of this year. Um, I had toured with an artist named Mandisa for the last three and a half years as her guitar player and also um, her backline tech, which uh, it's a role I picked up after my second tour because I never could find a tech and they were willing to pay me the full amount. So I'm like, I'm out here already. It's only a few hours of work extra. It's not much. And I'll, I'll do it if you guys want to pay up. So because in the, the day, I want to make as much money as I can for my family where I'm going. Yeah. Um, so I can spend more time with them when I'm home. And uh, so that that happened. What I say to guys is like, don't depend on that one gig. Um, so I I had built a recording business um, to where I was uh, tracking on lots of clients' projects. Uh, some of them I was producing, um, and then also I. Uh, in 2014, I started getting back into uh, business consulting for small to medium business. And, uh, and one of those clients throughout the pandemic had me, has me on, they still have me on retainer. I have a retainer agreement with them. So it's basically like a set amount per month, a uh, dollar amount. And I provide them so many hours a week uh, to be available mm-hmm. uh, for them, for their company. And uh, yeah. And so Having having several plates spinning at one time is the best thing because there's so many guys that have that one gig and it ends and it's like, what do I do? We got no other money coming in. Mm-hmm. So you have to have multiple streams of revenue. Um, you can even look into passive incomes. Like a book I would read would be Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of guys like to read Dave Ramsey, which Dave Ramsey is great at telling people how to get out of debt. You know, Kiyosaki is the opposite of using debt to leverage wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would look into Robert Kiyosaki and books like that that kind of discuss more passive incomes, making money while you sleep, yeah. uh, investment properties and things like that. I know a lot of musicians that are doing that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of musicians that have gotten their real estate license, not just because they can go sell houses and make a great uh, quick buck, but because they can take some of that money and reinvest it into rental properties and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, just the best advice I could give anyone is to have multiple streams of income if you're going to be working in the music industry. Because yeah. uh, it is one of the hardest industries to get into. It is also one of the easiest industries to fall out of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. man. 
Interesting. Yeah. Some, yeah. some good truths there. And, and so I think, mm-hmm. I think we're about uh, getting kind of to the, uh, the, the cutting off point, you know, we're getting to we sure. gotta cover a lot of fun stuff and, and it's been really good just kind of hearing your perspective on a lot of stuff. But one of the things we do want to do is kind of give you a brief minute or two to kind of give us some links to your social medias or how people can find out about you and stuff you're, you know, working on projects or you're producing business, anything like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to uh, find out a little bit more about me, uh, probably the best thing you can read through my website at brandonjbagby.com. Mm-hmm. You can type brandonbagby.com. It'll, it'll pull up that way as well. Mm-hmm. And all my social links are on there. Um, typically, it's at brandonjbagby is my handle for mm-hmm. Instagram. And uh, I don't use Twitter, but I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm more active on Instagram. Yeah. If anything. Um, cool. and then a little bit on Facebook and all links to my Facebook as well. And, uh, not very active on YouTube either. Um, I've got a few videos out, but, um, I'm just honestly, <laughs> sometimes I'm a little too busy to create content, um, yeah. or how to videos. And so I just, yeah. So you'll find me on Instagram. Uh, but the best thing to do, if you want to ever reach out to me, just go to my website. Brandonjbagby.com. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome, Brandon. Well, yeah, thanks for being on the show today and, and we appreciate having you. And I'm sure we'll we'll bring you back in. I think there was a lot of topics that we, we didn't cover, but I'm excited to uh, kind of dive into more of these in the future. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. And I love what you guys are doing over at Porter Pickups. And you guys are doing some great things in the pickup world. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Appreciate having you on. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, Brandon. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thanks, guys.